All right, so we are starting a new teaching series today. It's entitled Core. And our focus in this series is, is how to strengthen our core, spiritually speaking. So in the, in the physical training exercise world, there's a lot of talk about strengthening your core physically because when your physical core is strong, it minimizes your risk for injury and it positively impacts your spiritual health. And the same thing is true uh, your physical health. And the same thing is true spiritually. When your spiritual core is strong, you are able to experience difficulties and, and failures and discouragements in such a way that they don't damage your spiritual health. So what does it look like to have a strong spiritual core? Well, we find the answer to that question in um, the New Testament book of Ephesians. The first two chapters of the book of Ephesians. Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing this letter to a group of people who are in a similar culture to ours in many respects. Ephesus was uh, a pretty large city. It was in the midst of a booming economy, thriving commerce, growing population, but it also had its spiritual you know, dark side. There was a lot of sexual immorality and idolatry. There was a huge temple um, built to the goddess of fertility, Artemis, the goddess of fertility, and, and there would be, you know, basically prostitute priests, you know, there. So there were, there were a lot of challenges for a believer in Ephesus, all sorts of potentially harmful influences, things that could distract God's people from his heart. And so Paul, he's writing this letter to the church established in the city of Ephesus. And what's fascinating is how he begins this letter, because even though they're in the midst of all this dangerous stuff, he doesn't begin the book of Ephesians by focusing on don't do this and stay away from that and avoid that and watch out for that. He doesn't do that. He eventually gets there in chapters four to six. But the first part of this, this, this letter, chapters one and two in the first part, he is not focused on do's and don'ts. What he's focused on is who God is and who we are in him. He's all about strengthening their core and our core. He wanted these believers in Ephesus to have a strong core. Because again, when, you're, when your core is strong, your external behaviors naturally follow. So we're going to be spending the next several weeks doing a deep dive into chapters 1 and 2 of the book of Ephesians. So if you have your Bible, Bible app, feel free to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Um, and let me say, just kind of right up front, um, that this message, this series is going to be quite a bit different than our last series. Um, and the last series is focused on relationships and, and, and all of that, which is kind of, uh, you know, was, was really, really cool. But now we're kind of, we're shifting gears a little bit, and we're going to be looking at some life-changing and significant issues of theology, of who God is and who we are in him. So it just requires a little bit different mindset, okay? Um, so let me begin by reading in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is how Paul often begins his letters, introducing himself as an apostle, affirming those to whom he's writing, and then he often would have this blessing of grace and peace. Well, then in verse 3, he, he makes an amazing statement that really provides this critical foundation 
for how to strengthen our core, how to have a strong core. Verse three, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So Paul boldly boldly declares here that God the Father has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. In other words, God has already, he has already imparted to us all the spiritual blessings that we will ever need. They've already been imparted to us. And notice, this is not a statement about the physical realm. This is not a promise for health, wealth, prosperity, all of that. No, it's, Paul is talking about spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms. These are spiritual realities. These are internal realities, core realities that are not dependent in any way upon our circumstances. <clears throat> Paul also highlights here the source of these blessings, the source of these blessings. He says, with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, I cannot emphasize enough the significance of those two words, in Christ. Paul uses them over and over and over again in in this entire book. And what these two words mean here is that none of these lavishly given spiritual blessings are dependent upon us. None of them are dependent upon us. So our, our, our possessing these blessings is not dependent upon our performance or how much we've prayed today or what a good person we've been this week or whatever. No, no, no. All of these amazing spiritual blessings that we're going to be looking at, all these are ours only because of Jesus and what he has done for us. So it's sort of like analogy here, sort of like Bill Gates. Let's say Bill Gates find these, finds these um, inner city, he gathers these inner city kids and he, 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 he pays their way into Disney World, okay, for an all-inclusive day at Disney World. So he meets them at the gate and he's got the tickets for each one of them. He's got the tickets but, and he's ready to hand it to them. But some of the kids could say, nah, I don't really want to receive anything from you. I don't want to be dependent upon you or whatever. You know, they might just say that and that's fine. They would just stay in the parking lot. But for those who say, yeah, I'll take that. So those who take the ticket, they enter into the gate and they have an amazing day. They can enjoy any of the, the, the amazing things that happen in Disney World, right? And all the while, all the while, while they're enjoying these things, they know the only reason that they were able to experience these things is because of Bill Gates. The blessings are in him. See, Paul is saying here, and he will continue to say throughout this book, that all of these amazing spiritual blessings that are ours, they are only ours because of Jesus. So if you have placed your trust in Jesus, buckle up, because you're going to be seeing some amazing blessings that are yours in him. And if you have not placed your trust in Jesus, you're missing out on a ton, as we're going to see. You're missing out on a lot. So now let's begin to wade into this this book uh, and and look more specifically at at, at some of the blessings that are are ours in Christ. Verses 4 to 6. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will 
to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. This is such a powerful and life-changing statement that Paul has just made here. But in this amazing statement, Paul uses a couple of words that that have caused a great deal of controversy um, for centuries among Christians. And because of that, I think we actually, often we lose sight of the true significance and impact of this passage because we get hung up on on figuring these words out. So the, the controversial words are chosen and predestined. So why are these so controversial and what difference, what difference does it really make? This is not simply about semantics and it's not simply about some trivial theological distinction. These words, they speak to the issue of who God is and what our role and his role is in our salvation. So on one side of this controversy are those who emphasize God's sovereignty. The word sovereignty means that God is supreme ruler and he is absolutely in control. So those on this side, they emphasize that this perspective, that those emphasizing this perspective believe that God individually ahead of time chooses those who will come to know him. In other words, God has individually identified and, and selected ahead of time those people who will become Christians. Now, in this view, in this view, this sovereign choice is not based upon anyone's worth, their value, their, I mean, in other words, their goodness, their worthiness. You know, it's not based upon works at all. None of us deserve it. But it, it, it is in God's mercy. It's because of his mercy that he chooses some. Now, the beauty of this particular position is its emphasis on God's sovereignty, that God truly is in control. Okay, now, on the other side of this controversy, those on the other side emphasize our free will in this salvation decision, that, yeah, God is sovereign, but his sovereignty will never violate a person's ability to choose So in this view, the choice as to whether or not someone experiences God's salvation, that is totally up to that individual person, not God. Each person has the choice whether or not to receive him. Now, the beauty of this position is its emphasis on God's love for every human being. So John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. 1 Timothy 2, 4, that God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So people who hold this position that emphasize free will, they would say, how can we say God loves the world if he ahead of time only chose certain people to be his own? So do you see the tension Do you see the tension? Do you see why this is such a huge controversy? If we emphasize God's choosing and his predestining people, it seems to minimize his love for everyone. Why didn't he choose everyone if he could? Um, And if we emphasize God's love and, and, and our free will, it seems to minimize God's sovereignty. Maybe God isn't really, he really isn't in control. And that kind of feels scary. So which is it? Is God sovereign or is he loving? Yes, 
Yes, he is both. There are scriptures, like here in Ephesians 1, that emphasize God's sovereignty, his choosing, his predestining, his, his sovereignty in salvation. And then there are other scriptures, like the ones we just read and, and others, that emphasize his love and, and our ability to choose him. So you see, how, however we interpret what Paul is saying here in Ephesians 1, both of these truths about God must be upheld. But both of them must be upheld. God is absolutely sovereign, and he absolutely honors our free will. So, so how do we fit these things together? I don't know. I, I really, I, I don't know. Our finite minds can't comprehend how these things fit together. But since when has God been limited to our finite minds and our ability to comprehend things. Since when is he limited to that? The Bible asserts that both of these things are absolutely true, which means that we can embrace both of them without feeling this need to completely understand the how. So one analogy that I've used uh, at times in the past to talk about this and how I kind of maybe envision this um, is imagine that there is, a, there is a gate into a relationship with God. So there's a big gate and, and, and through that gate is a relationship with God. And so we're standing on the outside and we see this gate and the gate, there's the, over the gate there's a sign and it's, the sign really is God's invitation to everyone and the sign says, come. Place your trust in Jesus and enter into a relationship with me. So that's the gate. So let's say you choose to say yes to that invitation. And so you walk through that gate through faith. And now you're a part of God's family. So as you're a part of God's family, you're hanging out on the other side of the gate. And you're, you're, you're hanging out there. And you look back at that same sign. And now you see the other side of that sign. You're seeing it from inside the other side of that sign. And as you see, as you look at the sign now, it says, you were chosen before the foundation of the world, which fills you with amazing joy, knowing that somehow, before you were even born, God knew you and he chose you. See, it's fascinating to me that Paul, the apostle Paul, in this passage here, he doesn't seem to be troubled at all by talking here about God's love and his choosing and predestining, all in the same verses. He has no problem with that. See, Paul is able to embrace all of that without feeling some need to comprehend it or somehow explain how it all works. Rather, it is a source of joy. It's a source of joy for him. In fact, Paul, again, he picks up this theme beginning in verse 8. Um, again, he picks up this theme. So here's what he says. With all wisdom and understanding, God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope, put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. See, one thing 
that Paul seems to be emphasizing here, and something that we can rejoice in as well, is that God's plan is way bigger than we can ever imagine. His plan that, that Paul's describing here, it is way bigger than we can even imagine. So think about this. All the way back in the book of Genesis, we see God choosing Israel. So God, all the way back in Genesis, he exclusively chose the nation of Israel. But in doing so, he had a purpose, right? And we can see that now. So he chose Israel ultimately to accomplish something much bigger than they could even fathom. Bringing sal- he chose them in order to bring salvation to every nation of the world. So who knows? In light of that, what we've already, what we've seen, how his choosing results in a huge impact. Who knows what purposes God has in mind in his choosing of us? What we do know is that it will all be for the praise of God of his glorious grace, which Paul says over and over again in Ephesians chapter one. He repeats it over and over again. God's glorious plans are way bigger than we can even comprehend. Okay, so now that we've addressed sort of the elephant in the room, uh, I wanna go back now, and I want us to look a bit more closely at what Paul is saying here in these two verses, because this stuff is This is deep. This is life-changing. And again, I think what often happens is we we read these verses, we get so hung up on chosen and predestined that we actually miss some of the, the, the truths that God has for us here. So with that in mind, let me highlight two what I'll call core realities that God wants us to understand and embrace. First, you are a beloved child of God. You are a beloved child of God. This this is who you are in Christ. God wants this truth to be rooted in us, to be planted in us at the core of our being. So look again at what Paul says in verse 5. In love, in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. See, notice, it is love that is on God's heart for you and for me. It is love that was on his heart, and it was love that moved him to adopt you into his very own family. When you, or if you, place your trust in Christ at that very moment, You became a beloved son or daughter of God. I mean, think about what happens when a family member, when a family adopts a child out of some hopeless situation in a foreign country or whatever. I mean, all of us probably know families who have done this, and we've kind of seen this. So this family chooses this child. And they go through all the hassle and the paperwork and the cost and the travel to bring this child home. And the moment the child arrives, he or she is enfolded into this family forever. He or she is is surrounded by love and acceptance and provision. 
See, Paul is saying that that is what God has done for you. He went through an incredible amount of pain and hardship, traveling a very long distance from heaven to earth, enduring, enduring a cross in order to bring you into his family and pour out upon you love and acceptance and provision that will last forever. I mean, no wonder Paul is raving about this spiritual blessing that, are, that is ours in Christ. Are you kidding me? You belong to him. You are a beloved son. You are a beloved daughter of God. Nothing can change that. No sin, no, no failure, no tragedy. Nothing can remove you from his acceptance of you and his passionate love for you because you're one of his kids. You're one of his kids. He chose you to be a part of his family. Amazing. I mean, when you, when you have that truth, when you have this one truth cemented in your soul, your core will be strong enough to withstand and endure anything. Seriously. When you have this truth, this core truth cemented in your soul, you'll be able to withstand or endure anything. It's that powerful. The second core reality that God wants us to embrace from this passage is found in verse four. So look again at this verse. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Again, we can get so distracted by the word chosen here and predestined, all that stuff, that we miss the rest of what Paul says in this verse. I think a lot of people have completely missed the rest of this verse. <laughs> Notice what we are chosen for. To be holy and blameless in God's sight. Now the word blameless, the word blameless speaks not about what we do, but, but about how God sees us. That's what this word means. It's not about what we do. Oh, I got to become blameless. No, it's about how God sees you. He doesn't see our sin. He sees Jesus, his perfect son. You know, honestly, for how many of us, how, for how many of us is shame a constant companion of ours? We, we live, how many of us live with a constant awareness of our blemishes, our imperfections, our failures? But that's not how God sees you in Christ. That's not how he sees you. That, 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 that's not what he has chosen you for, to live under that shame. No, no, no. That, that's not the life that he intends for you and me. We are chosen. We are chosen in order to live in the blamelessness of Jesus. We're chosen for this. To not live under shame, we're chosen to live under blamelessness. And not only that, Paul also says we're chosen to be holy. Now, I know this word holy, it just, is, it's, it just makes us nervous, okay? Um, because when we think about being holy, 
We envision being prudish, you know, and being cloistered in some monastery somewhere or something like that. But, but, but I recently um, discovered that the, the root of this word holy in English, the root of this word holy is the word whole, W-H-O-L-E, whole. I mean, think about what this means. Second core truth here. God has destined you and me for wholeness. He has destined you and me for wholeness, for wholeness. He, he, God wants us to fully embrace this as true. God has chosen you and me to be whole, to be like him, to live. He has chosen you and me to live in freedom from shame and the destructive infection of sin. God has destined you to be who you were created to be before sin and shame entered the picture. The real you. That's what God is after. See, what this is saying is that no matter what you've done, no matter how much or how often you've messed up, God is still pursuing your wholeness. He is still committed to and pursuing your flourishing. This isn't simply about survival or mediocrity. No, no, no. He is at work to make you and me completely whole. The best version of you, the, the you that he created you to be, that's what he's after. Now, now notice this wholeness, it's not a prerequisite for being in God's family. A lot of people, oh yeah, I gotta, be, I gotta become whole so then I can be accepted in God's family. No, 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 that's not how this works. We, we were adopted just the way we are, just the way we were. We were adopted. We enter into the family and once we're adopted, wholeness is his plan for you. Once you're adopted into his family, wholeness is his plan for you. If you are in Christ, you are on a pathway toward wholeness, toward wholeness of emotions, toward wholeness of heart, toward wholeness of relationships. I mean, that's what everyone in our society is longing for, really. Wouldn't you agree? Everyone in our society is longing for wholeness. Now, a lot of times they don't think Jesus has anything to do with it or the church has anything to do with it, but, but the reality is we're longing for wholeness. We want to, every person on earth wants to live in freedom from shame. But here's what Paul is saying. God has actually provided the way. God has provided the way. So, so we see here these two amazing realities regarding our identity, regarding who you are. You are a beloved child of God and you are destined for wholeness which is wonderful, right? I mean, this is wonderful. But the question is, okay, I get that, but how do we get these truths more deeply rooted in our hearts? I mean, how do we strengthen our core by having these truths become more and more a part of who we are and how we, how we see ourselves? Great question. And we actually see the answer. We see an answer to that very question at the beginning of verse 3. So look again, we started with this, look again at how this entire passage begins. In fact, would you read this out loud with me? Read this verse out loud with me. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. See, this entire section is actually a declaration of praise. This entire section is actually a declaration of praise. And in that, Paul actually shows us how we strengthen our core, how we get these truths about our identity to go more deeply into our soul. And here's how. It is by choosing to praise God specifically for these blessings that are ours. That's how. It's by choosing to praise God. Praise is the thing that like, it, it, it almost activates. It releases the power of these truths into our core. So I feel like I'm a little late to the party on this. Um, but, but within the last month, God has been opening my eyes to see something. And I want to just share a little bit of my own journey. Even though I knew in my head these truths. I mean, I've taught this for years. I knew in my head these truths about who I am in Christ. My tendency has been to focus my spiritual energy and my prayers on where I'm falling short, on what I need to work on in order to better live out these truths. So several weeks ago, over Christmas break, um, we were having a family prayer time, and Raylene, we were praying for me at this point, one point, we we're praying for everyone, but we were praying for me at this one point, and Raylene, my wife Raylene got this picture. She saw a picture of me standing in front of this huge mirror, and so I'm standing right in front of it, and all I'm looking at is this mirror, and all of a sudden, in this picture, she, she sees Jesus come up and just shatter the mirror, just destroys the mirror. And suddenly, I could see around me for miles. I could see people. I could see this region in a way that I couldn't before because I had been so focused on the mirror, on what I was seeing in this mirror, my own deficiencies, my own failures. So that was very powerful. And so as I pondered that and began to think about it, it prompted me, that picture and that prayer time, it prompted me to begin to add something to my prayer life. And that something is praise. So let me explain what, 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 what began to happen in me, what I've begun to do. I began to take a passage from the Psalms, um, where because the Psalms are so much about heart and all that, I just begin to take a passage from the Psalms where the psalmist seems to be going through what I'm going through, right? And then I started to declare over my life these things. I'm declaring them. So God, you are my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? You are my shepherd. You guide me in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. You are my shield. You are the lifter of my head. I trust you. Notice these are not prayers per se. There's nothing wrong with praying, but this is an added dimension to my prayer life. These are not prayers per se. They're declarations of what the word says is true. So then more recently, as I've been studying Ephesians chapter one, I've begun incorporating into this some of the phrases that we've looked at today. God, I declare that I am your beloved son, that I am destined in you to be whole. So I started doing this during my prayer times with the Lord. And then 
I've have found myself doing it while I'm driving around town um, and just driving in my car. Um, or sometimes I'll do it in this, in this room before a Saturday night service as I'm praying or before Sunday services. I'm walking in this room praying. I'm, I'm doing this. And here's the, here's, here's the thing. As I've been doing this, as I've been doing this, I have noticed that my faith and my confidence in God are actually being strengthened. I've noticed that my vision of God's love is clearer. I've noticed that I respond to failure differently. Rather than fixating on what's wrong with me, oh, I did it again, and just focusing on what I did wrong, fixating on that, rather than doing that, I just confess it, and then I just start declaring who God is again. See, this has shifted my focus. This has shifted my focus onto who God is and who I am in him rather than on what I'm not. And I feel like my core is being strengthened. My spiritual core is being strengthened. See, right at the beginning, of this passage describing these amazing spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ. Right at the beginning, Paul gives us the key to activating these truths in our lives. And that key is praise. That key is praise, verbally declaring over our lives these things that God says are true. Whether we feel like they're true or not is irrelevant. God's word says they're true. God's word says they're true. I heard someone recently say, a pastor recently say, I can't afford to have in my head any thoughts about me that God doesn't have about me. I want to say that again because it's really good, okay? Um, I can't afford, he says, I can't afford to have any thoughts in my head about me that God doesn't have about me. See, that's exactly what we're talking about here. For too many of us, our minds are filled with thoughts about ourselves that God doesn't have about us. But our minds are filled with thoughts about ourselves that we have about ourselves, right? But God doesn't have those thoughts about us. We're always looking in that mirror that highlights how we see ourselves rather than Focusing on how God sees us. So how do we get that mirror shattered? Through praise. <laughs> That's how the mirror gets shattered, through praise. Get your eyes off of what you think of yourself and start declaring out loud what God thinks of you. In the verses we just looked at, God tells you very clearly how he sees you. He tells us. He tells you how he sees you. Start declaring those things over your life. That's your homework assignment this week, okay? In your prayer times, and as you're driving down to various places or whatever, start declaring these core truths over your life. I am loved by God. I am blameless in your sight. I am destined for wholeness and then don't stop there. Don't stop there. Look for other truths as you're reading the Bible. Look for other truths. Underline and put them on a card or whatever and start declaring those things as well. Because the more you and I do this, the stronger our core will become. 
the more deeply rooted these truths will get cemented into our soul. And suddenly, suddenly we will begin seeing the world differently. We will respond to difficulties differently. We'll see ourselves differently. Let's pray. So there's a lot to pray for here, a lot of opportunities to respond, and and we're going to do that. I want to begin, though, by offering a prayer for anyone here. And you don't know if you are in Christ or not. I'm not talking about whether you're a good person, you, you sort of vaguely believe in a God or whatever. I'm not talking about any of that, or you go to church or you're baptized. I'm not talking about any of that stuff. I'm talking about whether you have entered into a relationship with God through Jesus as Savior, where you are admitting your sin, your need, and your place, you place your trust in Jesus. You're, and at that moment, you're adopted into his family. This is not about anything you do. It's about what Christ has done. And there may be some of you here, and you're not certain, or maybe you know, you have never received this gift. You're still trying to earn it. And you haven't received this gift that Jesus has purchased for you. And so for those of you in that situation, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer right now. And I want to invite you to pray with me. This is a big deal. You are entering into a relationship with God through Christ. Young, old, doesn't matter how old you are. If you understand what I'm saying, pray with me. Get this issue settled right now. Pray with me in the silence of your heart. Dear God, I acknowledge that I am a sinner and I'm separated from you. There is nothing I can do in my own power to somehow get to you. But you came to me. You sent your son Jesus to live a perfect life. And then you died on the cross for me. And I choose to place my trust in your work on the cross, the price you paid. I receive you into my life. Change me through the power of your Holy Spirit. Fill me, change me through the power of your love. So God, I pray for anyone who prayed that prayer. They have entered into the gate and I pray they would just begin to explore the wonders of a relationship with you that's not dependent upon them at all. I pray for them to grow in the wonders of what it is to be in Christ, enveloped, adopted by you. Thank you, Lord. And I pray that for all of us who are in Christ. Maybe we prayed years ago, maybe just a moment ago, but that all of us would grow in our understanding of these blessings that are ours in Christ. We don't have to work for them. They are ours. So I want to pray a specific prayer here. Um, So here's the prayer. Jesus, and you just 
if you're comfortable, let these words reflect your heart. Jesus, would you shatter the mirror of how we see ourselves? That mirror that just focuses on our shame and our failure and our mess-ups and what we're not. Would you shatter that mirror that we look at so often And now, second prayer here, and this is one I encourage you just to quiet your heart and see what Jesus says. But Jesus, would you show us how you see us? Would you show me how you see me? Now we know for certain from his word two things that are true. He sees you as his beloved son or daughter. And he sees you as one who is destined for wholeness. So God, we pray that you would help us walk in these truths more and more that these core truths would sink more deeply into our being. They would be cemented in our soul, (laughs) unmovable, That that our core would be strong. So we pray for that. I pray for that. I pray for the activation of praise that praise brings and that we would practice this that we would not allow in our head any thought about ourselves that you don't have about us. So help us to be on the, the initiative-taking side of this. We're, we're, it's like exercise. We're, we're strengthening our core through the, the, the exercise of praise. Thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do, what you're already doing. So why don't, why don't, I'm going to have you stand. Why don't we stand? And this includes West Campus as well. Everyone stand. And we're going to practice this just for a moment as we lead into worship. But I just want us to declare just a few statements. We're going to practice this verbally declaring some statements of praise, these things that we have just looked at that are true of us in Christ, okay? So they're going to come up on the screen, and I want you, along with me, we're just going to say these out loud together. We are verbally declaring these things as true. So here we go. Here we go. (laughs) In Christ, I am your beloved child. I am blameless in your sight. I am chosen for wholeness. You are my light and my salvation. You are the stronghold of my life. I praise you for who you are and for who I am in you. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We praise you. Thank you, God.